Matthew 7, verses 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house upon sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Thank you, George. Well, good morning and welcome to Reality Church London. For those of you I haven't yet met, my name is Bijan, I'm the pastor here. And let me just say what George mentioned earlier, If you're new, an incredibly warm welcome to you. Just after the service, I and some of the other leaders from our church will be out in our courtyard. We'd love a chance to get to know you and help you get connected into the church, answer any questions you have. But again, a very warm welcome, especially if you're visiting today. Let me pray, and then we'll get right to work looking at Matthew chapter 7. Our God, thank you so much for gathering us together around your word this morning. And I pray now as we look at Matthew 7 and as we finish this series, that you would not only give us insight and understanding, but that you would help us to encounter Jesus and to be changed as we do. We pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. For the past 13 weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And believe it or not, today is the last day of our series. We come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What we've been saying each week as we've gathered is that this teaching from Jesus, arguably the most famous block of teaching from any historical figure ever, is about discipleship. Jesus has been describing verse by verse what it means to follow him in the world today. And what we've been doing each week is we've been looking closely at these passages and saying, what would it look like? if we took seriously the call to follow Jesus in London today. That's what we've been doing, and today we come to the end. And here's what I wanna say. 
Now at the very end, beginning in verse 13, Jesus isn't really giving new teaching, but he's applying everything he said. He's basically saying, I've given you all the teaching, now what are you going to do with it? You've heard everything that I've commanded, how is it going to change your life? And so what I want to do with you today is I actually want to pull back. Each week we've been looking at the trees, you might say, the specific aspects of discipleship, but today we're going to pull back and we're going to look at the whole forest. We're going to use these verses, I know it's a long section, but we're going to use these verses to guide us in giving us a big picture overview of what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about, what discipleship is all about. And so, here's the outline for today's sermon. First, we're going to see the heart of discipleship, the very essence of what it means to follow Jesus. Then we're going to talk about the hardship of discipleship. Then third, strength for discipleship. And then finally and lastly, the hero of discipleship. So, the heart, the hardship, strength, and our hero. Let's take a look. First, what is the heart of discipleship? When I say heart, I mean the center. I mean the essence. I mean the very core of discipleship. What's it all about? What's the very heart of the Christian life? And here's the answer. It's knowing Jesus personally. And you might also say being known by Jesus personally. The very essence of the Christian life, the very heart of discipleship is having a personal, active living relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, where do we see that in the text? Look with me, if you would, at verses 21 through 23. These are, I'll confess, some of the most sobering verses in the Bible. And if as I read them to you, you're not a little shaken, you're probably not listening. These are hard verses. Listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. He goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? We drove out demons. We did many miracles. But Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, those verses, I confess, are sobering. They're challenging. What you have is a picture of someone standing before Jesus, and Jesus says, I never knew you. But look at the description of the person who's standing before Jesus. This is quite stunning. The person standing before Jesus says, Lord. That's a symbol that they have some doctrine. They have some good theology. They know stuff about the Bible. They know stuff about God. They don't just say, Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. That is, they have passion. They have zeal. That repetition in the Bible is always a sign of enthusiasm. So this person is saying, Lord, Lord, they have energy for God. They're excited. They're zealous. And later the text says that they say to Jesus, look at all the stuff that we did for you, all the religious activity. We cast out evil. We did many miracles. We did lots of good works. We were really energized and behaving morally and living for you. And Jesus will say to that person, I never knew you. What's going on? Let me say this, some of you, as you hear these verses, temperamentally, you are prone to doubt and introspection. And so when you hear these verses, they can be pretty shaking. And I think it's good for all of us to take seriously what Jesus is saying. 
But what I hope we actually see this morning is that these verses for all of us are incredibly good news. They're actually very comforting. And let me show you why. First, we've said the person standing before Jesus has good doctrine. They have good theology. But doctrine doesn't save you. Just knowing things about God or about Jesus doesn't bring you into a right relationship with him. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. Second, we have someone who's zealous, filled with zeal and passion. Lord, Lord, they're filled with gusto. But just being zealous and energetic doesn't save you, doesn't give you a right relationship with God. Even living a really good life, a really moral life, doing all of the right things, quote unquote, that by itself doesn't save you. And here's why that's really good news. The essence, the message of Christianity is what saves you are not the things you do for God or even the things you know about him, but simply trusting in him, resting in Jesus. There's a world of difference between knowing about him, doing things for him, and knowing him and being known by him. And this is a liberating message because don't you see If your relationship with God was dependent on things that you did for him, you would always be exhausted. Your soul would never be able to rest. So if what made someone a Christian was their doctrine, their belief, their theology, if they knew enough about the Bible, then don't you see you'd always be exhausted because the question would always be, do I know enough? Have I read enough? Have I studied up as much as I should? And you'd always be wondering, do I know enough Bible? But Bible doesn't save you, Jesus does. And his word is meant to bring us to him. What if zeal and passion and energy, I'm so excited about God, that is good, but it doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves. And so that's encouraging because sometimes you come to church and it's happening, it feels great. The preacher is on, the music is fantastic like it was today. And other times you come to church and it's not. It's not as fun. It's not as energizing. The preacher isn't preaching that well. You feel a little blah. But you know what? The good news is in those moments, what saves you is not your passion for God, but you are being known by him. What about living a good life, engaging in religious activity, going through all the important spiritual disciplines that we have? Jesus would say those things are vital and important, yes, but they don't save you. Only Jesus can save. And what this passage is actually trying to say is on one hand, yes, it should bring a little fear into our lives that you can do all those things and actually miss out on a relationship with God. But on the other hand, it should bring incredible comfort because it reminds us that the essence of Christianity, the very heart of discipleship, is not the stuff you do for God, it's just resting in him. It's being known by him. That's the very heart of discipleship, the very heart of the Christian life. And so I ask, do you know him? Are you known by him? You say, well, how do I know? Well, that's what the rest of the sermon will be about. But that's first the heart of discipleship. The second thing, though, that we need to see is that there's hardship in discipleship, that following Jesus is not always easy but it can be actually quite challenging, quite difficult. And here's why we need to spend a few minutes talking about this. 
can't tell you how many Christians, how many people in the church I've talked to who have come to me and said, you know, I became a Christian, I believed in Jesus, and as soon as I did, everything in my life fell apart. And they say, that's not what I signed up for. I thought God was all loving and all powerful. If he is, why is everything falling apart in my life? And I want you to know, I want you to see that according to these verses, Jesus is declaring that actually being a follower of him is not always easy. Yes, it's wonderful. Yes, it's beautiful. But it's also actually sometimes incredibly hard, incredibly challenging. Let me show you what the hardness of discipleship is by looking at these verses. So if you look at verse 13 and 14, we see that one of the reasons discipleship is hard is because the road is narrow. The road is narrow. Jesus says, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Now, when you and I hear that phrase narrow, we might think that Jesus is talking about exclusivity, that only Jesus is the way to get to God. And that's true, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he's talking about a narrow road, the image you should have in your mind is if you've ever been hiking, especially, not British hiking, but like real hiking, you know, on dangerous mountain paths. British hiking is you walk to pub, to pub, to pub, you know. But uh, real hiking on a mountainside, if you've ever done that and you've been on a very narrow road, you know how dangerous it is. Every step matters. And every step, if you're not careful, could lead to disaster. It's a narrow road in the sense that it's difficult and it requires great care and precision. And Jesus is saying the road to life, the road of discipleship, it's narrow, it's hard, and there's dangers all around you. And for a moment, I wanna meditate with you on the hardness of that discipleship road. On one hand, it's hard because it always means that you have to let certain things go. That in following Jesus, there's always a dying to self. There's always a surrender. There's always something as you're trying to go through that narrow gate, you can't bring everything. And there's always something in each of our lives that as we seek to follow Jesus, he's inviting us to give up for his sake, to let go of things that we might really like, things that we might be afraid to live without, things that we can't actually imagine living without. Part of what makes discipleship hard is in order to navigate the narrow road, sometimes you have to let certain things go. And so I think if you're a Christian here today, the question for you is, has following Jesus ever meant giving up something that was important to you? Has it ever cost you anything? That's part of what it means to walk on the narrow road. And I think it's an important question for all of us as we look at our own hearts and as we look at our lives. The road is narrow. But not only is it narrow in the sense that we let certain things go, but also it's a lonely road. It's not a road in which there's tons of people walking and hanging out. There's sometimes what feels to be a loneliness in the Christian life. Now, I don't mean that you're always isolated from other people, but sometimes you'll feel alone. You'll feel like following God is hard and no one gets it. No one is with you. Sometimes following Jesus does impact and change your relationships. And you'll feel like you've lost people that you once loved and trusted and relied on. 
It's a hard road. Jesus is saying narrow is the way that leads to life. So the road is narrow. Second aspect of the hardship of discipleship, this is verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. Now, by the way, in the Bible, a false prophet is someone who uses people for their own gain. So they manipulate God's word in order to make a name or get something for themselves. And Jesus says, watch out for them. Watch out for the false prophets because they're gonna come to you in sheep's clothing, but actually they are ferocious wolves. By your fruit, you will know them. Here's what Jesus is saying. As you follow me, looks can be deceiving. Recognize that people will not always be what they appeared, but that actually some of the people in your life or in the church or in the Christian world who appear to be harmless and accessible like sheep are actually gonna be ferocious wolves that are seeking to satisfy themselves at the expense of others. That's a pretty horrible image, wolf in sheep's clothing. I mean, that's as bad as it can get. But let me just say, and for any of you who have been a part of Christian churches or the Christian world for any length of time, you may have seen this, that people that you once relied on, trusted in, turned out to be really different than they appeared. And when that happens, it can be really shaking and destabilizing. It can really kind of rock your faith and you wonder, if I can't trust that person, can I trust anyone? Can I trust God? How many of us have seen in headlines Christian leaders and teachers and very famous celebrity Christians falling away and burning out in scandal? When that happens, it can actually lead to a kind of shaking. Jesus says looks can be deceiving. And when we experience that, there's a kind of hardness that is experienced in our discipleship. So the road is narrow, looks can be deceiving, and then finally, why is discipleship hard? Because the storm is coming. This is verses 24 through 27. The storm is coming. Jesus here in these verses 24 through 27 gives the example of two people who build their lives, build a house. The house is their life. And Jesus says, one of them is wise because they build on the rock. So when the storm comes, the rain and the wind and the waters are rising, that house is safe because it's built on the rock. But then there's a person who Jesus describes as foolish because they have, you might say, the same kind of house, the same structure, but their house is built on the sand. Now, when times are good, both houses seem fine, but when the same storm comes, the house that's built on sand comes crashing down. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about the difference between the sand and the rock. But what we need to see here is Jesus is saying the storm's coming for everybody. Life is filled with storms. What kind of storms? The storms that you experience in your life. Broken relationships, lost jobs, career setback, relationships that aren't what you hoped, relationships that you hope for that haven't yet come, sickness and disease and financial setback. I mean, I know many of you, even over the past year, having faced incredible storms. And Jesus is saying those storms are going to come. And ultimately, friends, the great storm is still yet to come for all of us, the storm of death itself, in which we have to face our own mortality. The fact that at least humanly or physically speaking, our bodies will not always exist, that we have to face death itself. 
You see, Jesus is saying the storm is going to come. The storm comes in many forms during life, and the great storm comes at the end. And the invitation for us is to recognize that we need a rock to build our lives on, something that will keep us stable and safe in the midst of the storm. But before we get there, I just want to again remind you, this is the hardship of discipleship. Now, I want to be clear, being a Christian is not only hard, but it is partly and sometimes very difficult. It is costly to follow Jesus. It is a dying to self to walk in the way of Jesus. And so let's remember that as we finish this series of the Sermon on the Mount. There's a hardship in discipleship, but also, and encouragingly, Jesus says there is strength. It's not just hard, but there's strength for you. There is a rock. Again, this is verse 24 through 27. Let me read to you what Jesus says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And that's the phrase we need to hear. What's the strength for discipleship? Putting Jesus' words into practice. Now, here's what we mean. The Bible, the words of Jesus, is never given just so you can know something about God. The Bible, the teaching of Scripture, has to be done. It has to be lived out. It has to be shaping your life. It has to affect everything. The Bible is not a textbook. You learn the facts and pass the test. The Bible is this living and active word from God that's meant to get into the very center of your soul and shape everything, your outlook and your attitudes and your actions. And Jesus says, when that happens, then you have a rock on which your life is built. A rock is something sturdy and stable. Jesus is saying, if you know my words, but you don't let them shape you, if they're not guiding your life, you're like a foolish person whose life is built on sand. That is to say there's no stability. Your life is only as secure as your own thinking and opinions. But Jesus would say there's a rock that's actually much more sturdy and stable. It's his word. Now, let me just meditate with you for a moment on that word, practice. Jesus says, whoever puts his word into practice. And I like that word. Because on one hand, practice means you're committed. If you're practicing an instrument, you need to be disciplined. You need to have a schedule. You need to have a regimen. But on the other hand, someone who's practicing is someone who has not perfected their craft. They still have a long way to go. There's someone who has ways to improve. And practicing, putting into practice the words of Jesus means on one hand, we take his words seriously. We're not ambivalent about the words of Jesus. We don't pick and choose and say, well, I like this part, so I'll obey this part, but this part, that bothers me, that's offensive, I'll put that aside. On one hand, Jesus is saying practice takes commitment, it takes devotion. But on the other hand, to practice something is to realize we're not perfect. We have a long way to go and we're growing. We're not where we were, but we're not where we should be. And Jesus says the people who have a rock on which their lives depend are those who put my words into practice, who day by day rely not on themselves, but on my word. And that word is beginning to shape their lives. And here at the very end, this is the last bit of teaching, it's as if Jesus is saying, I've told you everything about what it means to be a disciple, now what? 
is this gonna shape you? How is this gonna change your life? That's the strength that we need for discipleship. Not our own opinions and ideas, but the very words of Jesus himself. That's the foundation that will keep you not spared from the storm, but safe in the midst of them. So how do we know if this rock has become our foundation? Well, that leads us now to the final point of the sermon and also the final point of this whole series. We need to see the hero of discipleship. The hero of discipleship. Let me read to you the last two verses of Matthew 7. This is no longer Jesus' teaching. He's done. This great sermon that he's preached, he's now sitting down. And the crowd is going to respond. And listen to what happens. When Jesus finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. That word authority, here's what it means. In those days, whenever someone would stand up to teach, they would always name drop. They would always say, as rabbi so-and-so said, or as professor so-and-so said, and you would build your teaching by standing on the authority of someone who is wiser and better than you. But when Jesus teaches, you know what he says? I say unto you. I say unto you. He's not quoting anyone. He's just talking. And when he finishes his sermon, the people listening say, we've never heard anyone like that. We've never heard teaching like this. Do you know why? Because there's never been a person like this. And as we conclude our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, what we need is the hero of discipleship. We need not only Jesus' teaching, but we need Jesus himself. Because if you look at the Sermon on the Mount as a rule book for how you're supposed to live, it'll crush you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I've quoted before, a preacher here in London about 60 years ago, listen to what he said at the end of his series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was not, he says, merely telling people how to live because the Sermon on the Mount is infinitely more impossible to practice than even the law of Moses. And we've already seen that no one would be able to keep that. The Sermon on the Mount presents a kind of standard, a kind of life that no one by themselves can actually live up to and live out. So what do we need? We need a hero. We need someone who can do for us what we could never do ourselves. We need someone who perfectly practiced all the words of God because we don't. We don't actually live out the very things that Jesus is teaching to the degree that we should. But guess what? He did. Jesus said, I always do what pleases the Father. I always put into practice perfectly every word from God. And as you see Jesus doing that for you, as you see him dying on the cross and rising again, not just as an example, but as a savior, as someone who's in your place doing for you what you could never do for yourself, that's the foundation, that's the rock that you need to not only follow Jesus, but to have a safety in the midst of the storm. And that's what I want to close on. You know, as you think back to the past year, I don't know that many of us could have predicted all the things that would have happened. And while I hope the next year is better, who knows? I mean, who really knows what's coming? Probably storms in varying ways for all of us. Jesus this morning is saying, I am the rock 
that you can build your life on and be kept safe in the midst of whatever storm comes your way. And so now in just a moment, as we come to our time of response, the invitation is to come to Jesus and to give yourself to him, the rock on whom you can depend, the teacher and the savior whose life can give you life and grace. And so that's why in one of the old Christian hymns we sing, in every high and stormy gale, our anchor holds within the veil. When all around my soul gives way, Jesus is all, my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Stand on Jesus today, he's the rock. Discipleship is beautiful, it's hard, but there is strength in his words. So give yourself to him today. Let's pray. Our God, thank you so much for teaching us today from your word. And now, as we always say, this is the time of our service in which we want to now put into practice. We want to encounter you as we put into practice your words. We want to be drawn to Jesus whose authority is unlike any other the one who's made everything sad come untrue because of his resurrection. Help us to experience and encounter him today. We ask all this now for your glory, praying in Jesus' name. Amen.